0: Welcome to 715. We're glad you tuned in. My name is Mark, and I'm very, very happy to be one of the pastors here at Grace Covenant Church. This is our last 715 of 2020. And uh, tomorrow night, uh, most of us will begin to celebrate a new year, 2021. Interestingly, in the physical world, in the physical uh, material world, Not much will really change. Uh, The earth will continue its rotation around the sun, pretty much the same as it did the day before with with a slight difference. But we're not wrong to celebrate New Year's. We're not wrong to to, uh, mark uh, times. It's actually given to us from God. In Genesis 1, 14, uh, God speaks to Moses concerning the great lights that he had created in the sky, the sun and the moon. And it says that he gave them, besides giving light, that he gave them for signs and for seasons and for days, months, and years. And uh, it's very important that we be able to mark time. It's one of the gifts that God has given to us. Uh, preachers are tempted to kind of just preach a real happy, sentimental message to try to get people's, um, get everyone's morale up on New Year's. And I've heard a lot of those in my time. Thankful for many of them. But we're just up from something like 10 months of a worldwide pandemic. Uh, Here in December in the United States, at one point, the the death rate, the daily death rate peaked at uh, just under 3,500 deaths in one day. That's uh, uh, very close to the number that perished on 9-11. And the uh, total count is somewhere around 325,000. We can hear these statistics uh, as if they're just merely numbers. But behind each one of these is a human life, a family, a set of friends and acquaintances, co-workers... Uh, for those who have actually lost someone in those numbers, they enter 2021 with a dark spot on their soul of grief and loss. You know it 's easier to be hard than it is to be hurt. And I think that 's one of the reasons that many of us, when we hear these numbers and we hear statistics that are unpleasant, We hear things that are unpleasant. We just want to stamp them down and just kind of move on. And so we say rather cynical things sometimes. As I said, it's easier to be hard than it is to be hurt. It's a lot easier for us human beings just to be hard and inured to these things rather than to be hurt. But remember the command is to love the Lord with all your heart. And then second, to love our neighbor as ourselves. To love our neighbor as ourselves. That means we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And we need to realize that if we let hurt do its work, it can help diagnose what's wrong. And it can help us commiserate with and it can help us to have compassion and empathy for our brothers and sisters. And then when it's our turn to walk through that dark, lonely uh, valley of death then we'll have others with us as well. What we sow, we'll reap. Well, in addition, 2020 also mixed in a generational ethnic, uh, a, a, a powerful generational uh, uh, dose of ethnic injustice and open, reopening wounds. And then added to that, there was the bitter and deepening political divide that is evidenced in our country right now. And in that context, I've been asked to share tonight on New Beginnings. <laughs> and it's, it's important to realize that the Bible is just right for that. Uh, because the gospel has been given to us not simply for good times. The gospel actually excels during the absolute worst times. The gospel was made to get us from birth birth to death and into the kingdom of God. The gospel was given to us to put a shield of faith that is impregnable around the heart of a believer so that they can walk through anything in this life that the enemy throws at us. We have to remember that Paul, who was a man who suffered greatly, said this, I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Um... I think it's, you know, it's interesting that so many Christians are up in arms. They think we're in the end times because we're having a pandemic. Listen, look at history. Uh, during the Spanish flu, so-called, uh, so uh, Americans died. Uh, they had to, there were so many bodies, and the winter ground was so hard that they literally stacked bodies in barns like cords of wood. That's in the United States of America. Most every family was touched with a death. It wasn't the end times. It was just the ebb and flow of fallenness, as Paul describes in Romans chapter 1. The ebb and flow of fallenness. So, we're going to talk about new beginnings, and I've carefully chosen my passage because of the context of this year. And I've taken this from the book of Lamentations. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're going to look at chapter 3, verses 20, 21 through 24. And the prophet says this, But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him amazing passage of scripture. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Now, to many of us, this passage is familiar. In fact, back in the 1980s, 90s, we had a chorus and we would sing this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And we would sing that uh, often. But I don't know that I even remembered reading its context back there. The writer is writing a lament, a lament is a form of mourning and grief. And what the writer is mourning is the literal destruction of Jerusalem and its people during the Babylonian conquest, siege and then conquest of 587 B.C. If you read about it, it's hard to imagine a people suffering any more than these people suffered. First of all, they endured an 18, or it's debatable, a 30-month, either way, either a year and a half or a 30-month siege of their city where an enemy army was surrounding the city, and they were cut off from the outside world. We know what that feels like a little bit, only they had no Internet. Uh, The people who were outside, family and friends at a distance, didn't know if their loved ones were still alive or not. And those inside had... Very little news, if any, of those outside. Um, Everything, all joyful things came to an end. If they had sporting events, they were over. Weddings were over. They were hunkered down in the city with a hostile army all around them. Um, All festivals ended, and their hope began to disappear. They endured unspeakable deprivation and, they, and a slow starvation, so much so that in some cases, some folks resorted to cannibalism. After the siege, what they had to look forward to, when the, when the wall was finally breached and the invading army was able to finally get in, they uh, collected and slaughtered everyone who had resisted. They chased the king down and, uh, before his eyes, killed all of his sons. Blinded him and then took him and all the other nobles off to uh, Babylon as prisoners. Uh, the preceding verses that lead up to this wonderful promise are interesting. In verse 16, he says, He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. Think about that. He says, I have forgotten what it is to be happy. The Hebrew there is good. I've forgotten what's good. I don't even know what good is anymore. My endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind. Therefore, I have hope. What does he call to mind? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That's the context of this passage. In the midst of grief and horror, this prophet is inspired to share a remarkable faith and hope and show us how to have a new beginning regardless of the circumstance in which we find ourselves. And so I want to focus on the anatomy of a new beginning, the parts or the anatomy of a new beginning. And we're going to look at what triggers a new beginning, the basis of a new beginning, the priority of a new beginning, and the timing of a new beginning. First of all, the trigger for a new beginning. He says this in verse 21. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. This I call to mind. What triggers, what sets in motion a new beginning? Do we just need to wait for some sort of circumstance, a swirl of wind, a, a, a visitation? It's as simple as an act of the will and the mind. That Hebrew word there that we translate call means to return. Or to turn back. The Christian walk is a series of returns to the Lord. We tend to drift. Remember the hymn, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. We, we, we are fighting uh, a world that is opposite of the kingdom. That, that flows against the kingdom. We're fighting our own fallen nature. That, we, that Paul says we need to reckon as dead. But it fights us. And we need to fight the demonic that pursues us every day he's uh of course the initial beginning the first beginning the true beginning is to be born again to be filled with the spirit to give your heart to jesus christ at the first but as disciples we must often return even from slight variations i'm not talking necessarily from huge backslidings although that's part of it but returning to god returning our mind turning back With his world around him destroyed, this prophet realizes his own drift. He's forgotten what good is. He doesn't have any hope anymore. His faith needs repair. It needs recalibration. His trials have dulled his heart of faith. It's important for us as we battle the world, our own fallenness and the demonic, it's important that we watch our own faith and that we catch a drift and that we pull ourselves back. Paul to the Colossians, he writes this If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated and at the right hand of God. Verse two Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. As Americans, we can be tempted to live uh, for the things of this country. We are such a blessed country. We are so prosperous. Uh, We're the Disney world of the human race. People want to come here. They want to visit. They want to move here. And it's easy for us to make an idol of all the good things, the blessings that we enjoy here, despite all of our problems, despite our troubles. But we're to set our mind on things above. We're not to let these things replace the God. And it's, an, it's an interesting that Americans, we, we begin to cry out that it's the end of the world when we suffer a bit. It's not the end of the world. The end of the world is going to be when Jesus Christ plants his feet on this earth and sets up his kingdom. Praise God. In the midst of his own despair, the prophet returns to the sure promises of God. This is what happened to the prodigal. He had left his father, he had squandered his possessions, he was destitute down in the uh, pig pen longing to eat what the pigs were eating. And he began to think in his heart. And even though he, he thought that his relationship was with his father could never be restored, at least he could be a servant there. And he said to himself, I will arise and go to my father. Are you drifting today? Are you feel like you've drifted away? You feel like maybe you're even, even backslide. Maybe you don't even go to church anymore. Maybe you've given up. You can have a new beginning. You begin to return. You simply make a decision. I will turn back. I will arise. And I'll go to my father. Praise the Lord. Secondly, so there's the trigger. We trigger it by making a decision by returning. The second is the basis for a new beginning. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to the end. His mercies never come to an end. Here we see the basis of a new beginning. What's it based on? Mercy. <laughs> That's the only right way to come to God is mercy. Uh, the ancient Hebrew translation of this passage is different. It's because of his great love, we are not consumed or cut off. You see, the prophet was realizing That because Israel and Jerusalem's sins had been so great. That it was God's mercy they hadn't been fully cut off. That they hadn't ceased to exist as a people. So this basis is mercy. It's important that every Christian, every believer, every person understand. That God is not grading on a curve. You may be relatively righteous uh, uh, compared to some of your friends or some other people you know or people you read about. I hear people say this, well, at least I don't, and then fill in the blank. And what they're really saying is, I'm more righteous. And that may be true. You may be relatively more righteous than this person or that person because there's some people who have done some very, very, very terrible things. But when we're talking about standing before God, that's different. That's a whole different ball game. We're to fight for justice in the world. We're to fight for others to receive justice. David, the Psalms are filled with David's cry for justice for himself. He says, I'm blameless in this matter. He was sinful before God. He knew that, but he was blameless in the matter. Um, Lord, uh, hear my case. Uh, we fight for justice. But when you stand before God, it's not a good idea to ask for justice. Because you might get it. You see, all of us, when we stand before God, we're going to receive one of two things. We're either going to receive justice or mercy. And the, the, the biblical doctrine on justice is that every human being that's ever existed and shall ever exist deserves death. Their sins deserve death. Put it like this. My sin alone, just my sin, was enough to murder Jesus Christ on the cross. It's very important that we understand this. If we're ever going to approach God through mercy, we have to understand that if left to ourselves without God's mercy, our sin would literally annihilate us. We would be cut off. Paul to the Romans wrote, none is righteous, not one. Does that leave anybody out? No one understands. No one seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. Worthless. When we find something worthless in our house, we throw it out. God didn't do that with us. No one does good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3. If we're to experience a new beginning, we have to replace the question with God shaking our fist and saying, why me? And we have to replace that with, oh, Father, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for not judging me as I deserve. Suppose we had a swimming contest. Some of you swim wonderfully. I don't really swim. When I'm in the water, I just simply keep from drowning. That's, that's basically what I do. Uh, it's not pretty to look at, and it's not, it's not enjoyable for me. So some, some people are Olympic swimmers and great swimmers, distance swimmers, but suppose we had a swimming contest and we were going to swim from the coast of California to Hawaii. That's only 2,467 miles. Now some of us, like me, would be a floater probably within 100, 200 yards of the, of the shore. That's when I would probably go under and then kind of pop back up and I would be gone. Others might make it, you know, 50 miles, 100 miles. I don't know how far people can swim. But this is certain that all of those people who try to swim to Hawaii will drown and die in that water. You can congratulate yourself all you want and say that I'm more righteous than this guy. I can swim further than him. But the end is going to be exactly the same. You're not going to get there. You're going to fall short of Hawaii. You're going to fall short of the glory of God because God knows our heart. God looks inside and He sees what's going on inside our heart. And He knows what you would do in a different circumstance. Next, the priority. So we see the trigger of a new beginning is a change, a turn, a returning. The basis of our uh, new beginning is always mercy, not not a, a demand for justice before God. And then the third is the priority in the new beginning. What's the priority? Notice verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. For there to be a new spiritual beginning in our lives, there must be a change of priority. What are we living for? What's really important to us? If I'm angry and bitter with God, that meant that I had something else that was more important to me than my relationship with God, perhaps Or I'm just looking sincerely for an explanation. That's fine. But remember the commandment is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to have no other gods before him. What are gods? They're not necessarily bad things. Gods are those things, usually good things, that we elevate to try to perform for us in a way that only God can. We say to our jobs, oh, great job, provide everything that I need. I'm going to give everything to you. I'm going to neglect my family. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be a workaholic for you. Provide everything I need. And at some point, that job, being an idol, cannot provide what only God can provide, and it will let me down. During the stock market crash in the 1920s, men who had given their entire lives to work, when the stock market crashed, they jumped out of windows. It was a mess. They were jumping out of windows of high-rises in New York to kill themselves because their idol had fallen. If we live for something other than God, why does God hate idolatry? Because if we live for that thing, it will destroy us. God's not egotistical. He's not looking at comp- There's no competition. He's not worried about an idol encroaching on him. He's worried about our idols destroying us. And that's what had happened to Israel. They had begun to be idol worshipers, and an enemy came and destroyed them. Had they sought God sincerely, he would have protected them and kept them. But they didn't. So we need to consider what is important to us in these good times. And when we go through bad times, is God enough? The prophet had seen everything that was valuable to him. Almost everything around him that was of value was gone and destroyed or carried off into deportation. His idols, if he had any, had fallen. And he says, I've come to the place where God's enough. He is my Portion he's my priority now, if I have him, I'm fine. Uh, there were four college students living together uh They were going to bible college uh they bought they They were renting a house together one Saturday morning. A knock came on the door. There was an old man out there with kind of marbleized eyes, scruffy beard, and he was selling vegetables. The boys kind of embarrassed and bought a few of the vegetables. Well, he started coming every Saturday, and as they got to know him, they realized that his eyes were not from alcoholism or something like that, but that he had cataracts. He had uh, shoes with holes in them and very tattered clothes. And they um, they got to know him. They found out that he loved God. He played harmonic and loved to sing hymns. They decided to get together and give this man a basket of clothes and shoes and different things, and so they didn't want to embarrass him, so they dropped it off on his porch of this little shack while he wasn't home. He came over the next day, and he was singing. He said, you know, God is so good. He said, yesterday, someone dropped a, a um, basket of clothes and shoes off at my house. And the boys go, yeah, God really is good. And they were kind of smiling. And then he said this. And, and the great thing is, he said, is that I found a family who could use them. This is a man. Here was a man who had very little, but he was happy because the Lord was his portion. Lastly, timing. What's the good time? What's the timing? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. What's the best time to trigger a new beginning? Well, short answer now. Now, now, the promise of this passage is literally staggering. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Think about that. His mercy is constant, unchanging. It's fixed. This ought to remove every excuse of ours from running back to the Father. How can we start a new beginning? Should we do it monthly? How often? Maybe once a year. Maybe you've got one in a lifetime. Not according to this passage. How often can we come? Every morning. New every morning. If you didn't catch that, uh, uh, if you didn't catch it in the morning, take it up in the afternoon. If you didn't do it in the afternoon, do it in the evening. 11 o'clock, get up in the middle of the night and begin your new beginning. Turn your mind back to God. He is waiting to give you mercy. And guess what? It never ceases. Peter said, how often should I forgive? Should I forgive my brother up to seven? Jesus said seven times 70. And he didn't mean seven times 70. That was a hyperbole. He meant you forgive, period. Because that's like your father. How, when will he forgive? His mercies never come to an end. No wonder he ends by saying, great is your faithfulness. Are you a sinner? It's time to come. Do you feel like, are you a cold-hearted saint? Time to come. God is faithful to his promise to pardon. John saw this and he wrote, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. No matter your condition, sinner or cold-hearted saint, come. Come as you are, but come. Amen? Charles Spurgeon wrote this, So you believe you're a great sinner. Let not your sense of sin make you think little of my master. You are a great sinner, but he is a greater Savior. Do not say that your sin is a match for Christ or overmatch. Come, Goliath sinner, the son of David will conquer thee and save thee. Though your sins be as scarlet, they will become like wool. Where are you this evening? Not physically. Are you ready for a new beginning? Well, can you change your mind? If you can, then you can return to the Lord. You can trigger a new beginning. Are you angry over grievances? You feel like you've been done unjustly before God, then you can realize that if God gave you justice, then you'd be consumed, you'd be cut off. instead of instead, He's offering you mercy. Are you discouraged and feel that you don't deserve a new beginning? Then recognize that His mercies are eternal, constant, fixed, and they are every day. Friends, we live in the Gospel age. This is so important. We live in the gospel age. Pastor Brett talked about it on Sunday. That there was uh, that uh, the last times, the last times, in which which we're in, started when Jesus poured out His Spirit at Pentecost, and they will end when He returns. That's the era we're in, and it's the age of the gospel. What do I mean by that? It means it's the day of salvation. It's not the day of just you know, judgment. People, Christians want to live in the Old Testament. Is America under judgment? Listen, we are living in sin and we're reaping the fruit of that sin. The swirl of sin is on the earth. And uh, you see this in Romans chapter 1. Men are doing all sorts of evil things and it causes uh, bad things to happen. But God's heart is to save. Jesus said that God did not send his son into the world to condemn it because it was already condemned. But he said, I came that they might have life. And have it more abundantly. Whoever believes in the son. This is the age of the gospel. We've been sent to preach that as ambassadors. We're there to tell them our king is coming. But you can receive a reprieve and become part of his kingdom now. Paul wrote to the Corinthians on this matter. And he said, for it says, and he's talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in a time of favor, I heard you. In a day of salvation, I helped you. But he says, I tell you, Paul now, I tell you, Corinthians, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. What's he talking about? He's talking about the age in which we are living. Today is the day of the gospel. The Son of God has come. He spoke through us through different means in the Old Testament. But in these last days, the writer of Hebrews tells us, he has spoken to us through his own Son. Hear what the Son has said. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's the way we bring the kingdom. We preach the gospel. If you want to spend time chasing around uh, crazy theories and, uh, and, and conspiracies and all sorts of stuff, go for it. But you will not be obeying our King who said, go and bring the gospel to the nations. Are you stumbling? Return. Are you self-assured and confident? Return. Are you on top of the world but inside, teetering on the edge of the abyss? Return. Are you fearful? Return. Do you feel lost? Return. Start your day, your day of new beginning. Whether you're filthy or clean, confident or crushed, whether you're wealthy or poor, up or down, regardless, whatever your condition, by any means, return to the Lord now. Are you ready for a new beginning? His mercies never end. Great is thy faithfulness. Father, lodge this word in our hearts. Deliver Christians from chasing fantasies. We've been given a commission. We've got a great commandment to love you and to love people. We've got a great commission to go and preach the gospel wherever we are. That's what we're to be about. That's our business. I pray, Lord, seal this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.